Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. Um, hey, so we're kicking off uh, a brand new uh, series today, a collection of uh, sermons out of the book of Proverbs. And uh, the title of this series is called Wise Up. Um, because that's our goal, is that through this series, you and I would get a little bit wiser and that we would uh, maybe start making some better choices so that we can live today better than we lived yesterday and all of the days that preceded yesterday. How many know that the Bible uh, is a really practical collection of books? Yeah, it's, it's filled with spiritual truth and divine guidance from the Holy Spirit for how you and I are meant to live. And so I'm excited for this is going to seven weeks is how long we're going to spend in the book of Proverbs. We're going to be looking at fairly uncommon Proverbs, maybe ones that you haven't spent too much time studying or maybe that you've never heard messages on before uh, that are going to help address a lot of different areas in life, not just for us personally, but how we live in society, how we relate to one another in the church, family, and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. So I want to make sure that you're just like, look at the next seven weeks and go, okay, I have an opportunity here uh, to get wiser and to start making better choices. And one great choice that you could make is to prioritize being here. <laughs> That's a, a great choice that you can make just right up front. And um, we're going to learn a lot over the course of the next seven weeks together. Come with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7. And uh, this proverb says this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get Wisdom. Touch your neighbor. Tell him, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. I want to read really briefly uh, just a narrative story out of the book of 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 7 through to 12. This is an exchange between God and a man named Solomon, who was the third king of Israel. He was the son uh, of David, who ascended the throne after David died. And Solomon is known uh, in the church and to the Jewish people and in the scriptures uh, as a man of wisdom. It says in this narrative, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in, which is a military reference. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? Now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself an understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. The title of today's message is very simple and straightforward, but why don't you jot it down? Here it is. You need wisdom for these four decisions. You need wisdom for these four decisions. How many decisions are we going to be talking about today, church? Yeah, you need wisdom for the four decisions that we're going to talk about later in this message. Now, this is our first sermon series ever in the book of Proverbs. And our desire, I would say, supremely, is that we would all develop an appetite for wisdom. 
a desire for wisdom and that we would learn how to receive wisdom and how to apply wisdom to our lives so that indeed we can live better today than we did yesterday, so that we can make better decisions, so that our relationships can be more fruitful today than they were yesterday, so that we know how to steward our gifts more fruitfully today than yesterday, ultimately so that you and I, uh, in the midst of confusing situations, can bring clarity to people. In the midst of chaotic circumstances, we can bring peace to people. Ultimately, we serve the God of wisdom. And therefore, we want to be reflective of God's wisdom to the world around us, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, and to one another in church so that today can be a bit brighter than maybe the days that have preceded uh, these days up until now. Now, the teaching team and I are going to be pulling from these uncommon proverbs and helping them to apply them to our lives. But today, I just want to lay a foundation. So I'm not going to tell you today necessarily how you get wisdom. Uh, we're not going to talk about uh, wisdom in a particular area of life today. Uh, today, I have three objectives. Number one, developing your desire for wisdom. Number two, helping you to discern when you need wisdom. And number three, deciding to be the kind of person who actually receives wisdom. Developing our desire, discerning when we need it, and deciding to be the kind of person who actually receives the wisdom that is available to us. So let's start by developing our desire for wisdom. I brought this story of Solomon into the message today on purpose because there's some really, really powerful truths in there that I think help us develop our desires for wisdom in life. Solomon makes an offering. God comes to Solomon and essentially invites Solomon to ask anything. How many would like God just to show up in your life and just, just say ask, like blank check, right? So that's the circumstance that Solomon is in. And so he says to God, well, uh, I really would like an understanding mind. I would like to be able to discern right from wrong. And so God gives him a mind of wisdom. One of my questions is this. What made Solomon ask for wisdom in the first place. Like he was wise to ask for wisdom, but why did he count wisdom as the pinnacle thing for which to ask? Not wealth, not longevity of life or whatever else. What is it that made Solomon go, wisdom is the one thing that I want to ask from the Almighty God? It's interesting, especially when you consider that Solomon up until this point in the scriptures has already been described as a fairly wise person. And yet in this moment, he says, I need to be a bit wiser. I think the answer to why Solomon desired wisdom is in his own description of how he viewed himself in the midst of the circumstances that he was in. Uh, he said this to God, you have made your servant, speaking of himself, you have made your servant king in place of David. This is in verses 7 and 8 of 1 Kings 3. You have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitudes. So there's three things there that Solomon recognized about himself that gave him the desire for more wisdom in the first place. Number one, Solomon recognized, I am God's servant. Therefore, God is the master, and I am the follower. You and I are servants of God, and God is the master of our lives. Our responsibility is to understand God's plan and to understand uh, how God wants his plan to play out and what role we play in his plan. When you understand that you are 
the servant and God is the master, that will develop a desire in you to get wisdom. Number two, Solomon said, I am like a little child. In other words, I am a small part of God's big plan. So not only are each and every single one of us a part of God's plan, but we are a little piece interconnected with thousands and millions of other little pieces of God's plan. And the desire for wisdom comes when you recognize that God's story, his cosmic story has been playing out long before you got here and most likely will continue playing out according to God's will long after you are gone from the earth. And when you recognize that you are a little piece in the midst of something very vast, that will make you step back and go, I need wisdom if I'm going to play my part in God's big plan. Number three, Solomon recognized that I am ruling over God's people. In other words, I am stewarding God's stuff. Solomon knew that he had become the king, but how did he phrase it? He said, I'm king over your people, God. When you recognize that you, are, you have been entrusted with people in your life and, and things and stuff that doesn't ultimately belong to you, you will be held accountable for how you steward all of it by God. That will humble you and make you step back and go, I think I need some wisdom for how to steward all of God's stuff so that I do not act unwisely with it. So these three realizations will develop the desire for wisdom. I am God's servant, serving God's master plan, stewarding God's stuff. I am God's servant, serving God's plan, and stewarding God's stuff. Solomon recognized all of this, and even already as a wise person, it made him desire more wisdom. And he asked for it, and God gave it to him. Now, I've often pictured this interaction, maybe you have as well. I've often pictured this interaction between God and Solomon as this kind of moment of like divine download into Solomon's brain. Like God plugged like a cosmic thumb drive into his brain and just downloaded all the wisdom that Solomon would ever need. Or like, like the granting of a superpower. For some reason, every time I've read this story, that's just how I've always pictured this exchange, this moment between God and Solomon. But one thing that I was thinking about is maybe it's not that, that there was just this download of everything that Solomon would ever need to know, all the wisdom that he would ever need. Maybe Solomon wasn't even asking for that, but maybe Solomon was actually recognizing his constant need to be directed by God for how to manage the responsibilities that had been handed to him. Maybe Solomon recognized that he didn't need God to tell him what to do one time, but rather he needed God to tell him what to do many, many times over the course of the rest of his life as he fulfilled his role as the king. This is different from asking wisdom as though it were a product. This is asking for wisdom, understanding that wisdom is a process of gathering information and discerning what the right moves, what the right steps are that we are to take, all the while recognizing that that process is engaged not independently of God, but actually engaged in constant reliance upon God. You see, the fact is that God did indeed give Solomon a gift of wisdom. There was actually a supernatural impartation from God to Solomon in this moment. But like all supernatural gifts of the Spirit, they have to be played out in constant connection to the gift giver if the gift receiver is actually to steward them pro pro properly. In fact, when you consider how Solomon started as king versus how Solomon finished as king, knowing that he started well but finished quite poorly, 
that he started out making a lot of wise decisions but finished making a lot of unwise decisions, you recognize that indeed if we are to be wise people, then we need to be in constant connection with God. You see, what happened to Solomon, he just started worshiping idols. And the more he worshiped idols, the more distant his heart became from the Lord, and he started making unwise choices. He forgot that he was God's servant, serving God's plan, stewarding God's stuff. And therefore, his appetite for wisdom diminished, and so also did wisdom itself diminish in him. Now, just like Solomon, you and I have been given responsibilities. If you are a follower of Jesus here today, that means that you also are God's servant, serving God's plan and stewarding God's stuff. And so that means that you have a responsibility to all kinds of things in your life. You have a responsibility to your friends. You have a responsibility to your family. You have a responsibility to your place of work. You have a responsibility to steward the money that God has entrusted to you and to make good use of the time that has been allotted to you and to steward the gifts that you've been given and the talents that you've developed. You have responsibility for all those things. If C3LA is your home church, then you have a responsibility to this church and a responsibility to the people that you are in covenant community with. You do not get to go your life not acknowledging the responsibility that has been handed to you. I love what Pastor Joe said this morning to our team of hosts who get here early to set up. He says, blessing always turns into responsibility. And friend, you have been blessed. And all of those blessings from the people in your life to the stuff that you have to the church that you're planted in, you have a responsibility towards those things. Now, if you are like me, then all of that responsibility and all of that accountability makes me step back and go, wow, I need to get wisdom. And just like Solomon, if you and I are going to get wisdom, we have to be in constant reliance upon the Lord for all the responsibilities, all the decisions that we have to make. It's like we talked about last Sunday in the dream service, praying over our dreams, that our dreams need to be guided by God. The only way that happens is if we just get close to Jesus. We actually spend time with the Lord. That You carve out half a day or an evening where you're just, just you and God and you're just praying and you're offering up all of your concerns to the Lord and you're just sitting and you're listening and you're allowing God to guide not just your dreams but also your choices. Because wise people recognize that we are not nearly as self-sufficient and independent as we would like to think. I don't know if you're like me or not, but I need God to tell me what to do constantly. And when I make choices without checking in with God, I often make bad choices. Maybe you're a whole lot smarter than I am. Turns out God actually has a will for how you and I live our lives. Here's an example in James chapter 4, verses 13 through to 15. It says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You're not that smart. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We just read God's perspective on your business plan. Apparently, the Lord has a will for what business you do, where you do it, how you do it. And instead of just rushing into every single opportunity that looks shiny to us or making decisions independently of God, we should actually check to say, God, what do you will? for my business. Where should I go? What should I do? How should I do it? Now, this is great news. 
because it means that the pressure is off. All of the best ideas don't have to be concoctions of your own thinking. Turns out God has wisdom available to every single person who would acknowledge their need for it and actually humble themselves to go out and seek proactively the wisdom that God has available to us. And if you are like me, this is genuinely good news because I often have more questions than I do answers. I have a lot of questions. I cannot tell you how many times this happens multiple times a week where people are looking to me to make a decision and they think I know what decision I want to make but I'm sitting in my office thinking to myself I actually don't have any idea what choice is the best choice waiting for me to email back or text back or slack back or whatsapp back and I'm tired of all the different platforms where I have to communicate the decisions that I need to make when I don't even know the decision that I want to make Again, maybe you guys are smarter than I am. Uh, where this comes up uh, uh, most frequently for me is in the area of vision. You see, I'm pretty comfortable getting alone with God and over the, uh, over the course of a period of time, weeks and months, getting a download from God. God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to focus on? What do you want us to emphasize? And we just rolled that out recently to the church, that this year as a church, we feel like God wants us to emphasize evangelism, discipleship, and practicing the power of the Holy Spirit. And we feel like that's uh, Holy Spirit-led. He's leading us into emphasize and focus on those three areas as a church. And I'm pretty good at getting the clear vision from God. But then there typically comes a moment where I feel like I've got God's direction and I start to feel stuck. And it takes me a few moments to even recognize that I'm stuck. And then another few moments more to admit that I feel stuck. And usually in that time, I'm kind of just quietly waiting around for somebody in my life to magically speak up and tell me how I should do what it is that I want to do. Usually my wife. And I have all these unspoken expectations upon her and upon you and upon the leaders around me. Please just tell me how to do what I want to do. But I'm too afraid to voice the questions that I have because I don't want to be perceived as somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Okay, apparently this is just confessing time for Pastor Jake today. And you guys don't relate with any of this whatsoever because you always know what to do. A few weeks ago, Nicole and I had, let's call it a discussion. And... Uh, I was in the middle of expressing to her my unfair expectation that I expect her just to interpret what it is that I want to do and tell me exactly how to do it. And she's telling me how that's not a ex fair expectation that I have upon her. And in the midst of this discussion, she said something so simple to me that I have not been able to get out of my mind for the last few weeks. She said, if you do not know how to do what it is that you want to do, then you need to get on the phone with one of your peers and ask them what they think you should do. Duh. But are you like me? Do you have questions that you're holding on to in, internally for some reason? Whether it's pride or not looking like you don't know what you're doing. And so you just keep those questions to yourself. Even when asking the right people could make things so much more clear for you. Sometimes I sit with my questions so long that I forget I can even ask somebody the questions that I have. And if you are like me, then Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7 is a great proverb to begin this series. The beginning of wisdom is this, go get it. Get wisdom and whatever you do, get insight. The nuance then is how do I know when 
to get wisdom for the decisions that I have to make. Because there is a difference between valuing wisdom and being incapable of making a choice on our own. You actually don't need wisdom for every single decision that you have to make. Should I shower daily? Should I go to work today? Should I begin exercising? The answer to all those questions is absolutely yes. You totally should. And you don't need to check in with your pastor to find out. You can make some decisions on your own. And I'm being obviously silly, but there are more serious decisions that you can make on your own. But there are some decisions that you would be foolish to make without the counsel of other people in your life. What kinds of decisions require definitely the wisdom of people that God has placed around us? And by the way, it's not always a matter of whether you should make the decision you want to make. A lot of times it's how you go about making that decision. Sometimes I'll see people make a decision without inviting wisdom, without inviting counsel, because they don't want somebody to tell them to do something that they don't want to do. Or they don't want somebody to tell them not to do something, something that they really want to do. And oftentimes I see people make decisions because they simply want something to change. And they're looking for the quickest way to make that change happen with the least resistance and oftentimes with the least amount of thought or concern for how that decision is going to ripple out and affect a whole litany of other factors in their life. Now, making the change that you desire might be right. It might be wrong. Even if it is right, there is still nuance to, do, to discern how do I go about making that change. And that's why you need wisdom, not just knowledge. It is wisdom that navigates the nuance. And life is full of nuance. This, by the way, is discipleship. A lot of Christians are up on discipleship. I want to be discipled. Great. That means that you want people to tell you to do things that you don't want to do. And so many of us are down with discipleship until someone disciples us. Like, I don't really, I didn't know that was discipleship. I thought discipleship was me telling them what I want to do and them just nodding their head in agreement saying, yes, great plan, brother. No, discipleship is submitting ourselves to people that we open the door to speak wisdom into our lives, even if that wisdom runs against the grain of our preference. Neighborhood groups are kicking off today. And if you are not making it a priority in your life to get into a group and building meaningful relationship with people who are filled with godly wisdom, that means that you are leaving some doors in your life to wisdom closed that should be open. Because meaningful relationship is God's one of his preferred vehicles for helping you to make wise choices. So what are those choices in which we most definitely need wisdom? Do me a favor, write these down because I really want you to refer back to them. Does the decision affect your future? Number one, does the decision affect your future? These are what we refer to as big decisions. And they are big decisions because they typically have big ramifications. The opportunity, just pastorally, that I tend to see is that some of us need to upgrade some of our decisions to the big category. And we make decisions with pretty big ramifications, but we still make them without seeking the counsel of other people. So an example of this would be right now America is in the midst of what people are calling the great resignation. People are just leaving their jobs left and right. In November, four and a half million people in America quit their job. Must be nice. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love what I do. 
Y'all look great. No, I really do. Um, but in those statistics, without a doubt, there are Christians that are included in, in that mix of people who are leaving their jobs. Many who don't have a plan for what their next job is going to be. And that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. Choosing to leave your job isn't necessarily a poor choice. I would say that choosing to leave your job without inviting wisdom from other people in your world probably is a poor choice. Even if, even if you have a job lined up, I still wouldn't make that decision alone. I wouldn't even make that decision with just my spouse. I'd invite the counsel of a peer, a pastor, a parent, or I'd invite the counsel of all three because those are the kinds of decisions that have big ramifications. You don't know what the, the culture is going to be, uh, be like at your new place of work. You don't know what kind of things politically you're going to have to navigate. You don't know the way the new routine or the new schedule is going to affect your life as a whole and how that's going to ripple out in your relationships and your involvement in church or time with your kids or your free time. Whatever it is, those kinds of choices are going to have ramifications throughout your life. And what I see, the issue is that when we are faced with a big decision, we tend to downplay the ramifications even though the decision is going to affect our future. And that's how we justify ourselves in making that big decision without inviting other people's perspective. And usually we do it that way because we don't actually want somebody to tell us something that we don't want to hear. And that's usually because there's something in our current circumstance that we don't like. We'd like it to change. And this decision that affects our future is the fastest way to make that change, but we make the decision without counting the cost. So right now, I'm facing this way, which means that I can't see a single thing that is behind me. So I'm going to make a really big choice, but it doesn't just affect the things in front of me. It affects 360 degrees around my life. I need you to tell me what's behind me because I can't see it. And if I make the decision, this big decision that affects my future, even just in the midterm, I would be wise to seek out wisdom. Say, are you seeing anything that I don't see? Because the answer is probably yes. Another example would be going out and getting a, uh, making a big financial pur purchase. Something that you're going to have to make payments on, you know, on a, on a monthly basis. Maybe you go out, you buy a new car and you get yourself a big car payment and you do that without reviewing your budget. And you think, I can swing the payment so you go get the car, but you don't account for the hidden costs. Things just like being able to live a life of generosity. It turns out every single dollar is now accounted for, so I can't buy your lunch. Turns out now every single dollar is accounted for, so when we get to the moment of the tithe, it's like, oh, I don't know if I can. Or, or maybe it's just that you got yourself into a financial position because you didn't seek wisdom, and now you have to hustle so much harder than what a healthy routine would dictate. Some of us actually don't have time to spend with God because we're still hustling to pay off the, the decisions that we made before where we didn't factor wisdom into the equation. Does the decision affect your future? Go and get wisdom. And again, it's not, it's not just, it's not that the desire for change is bad. It's not that wanting to switch jobs or buy a car are, are bad things. But the way that we go about these big decisions needs to be influenced by people in our lives that we trust. And this can be hard because they love us and therefore they're going to tell us the truth, not what we want to hear. And that's why, when you are making a decision that affects your future, here's the kind of person that you need to be. Write this down. You need to be a teachable person. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 8. Listen to this. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. 
Reprove a wise man and he will love you. What's reproof? Reproof is when wisdom comes to you because you didn't want to first go to it. In other words, reproof is being corrected. And we learn to love correction. I learned to love correction from my friends. I learned to love correction from people who I'm leading. I learned to love correction from people who are leading me. I learned to love correction from every single way that it comes into my life, even though correction almost never feels good. But the difference between a wise person and a foolish person is that wise people will love the person who is correcting them. Then they'll take it a step further so that they actually don't need as much reproof anymore because instead of retroactively getting wisdom, they proactively seek wisdom out because they're teachable. They want to learn. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction. Can I say that one little thing right there is so hard for me? It's hard because I know better than you. I'm convinced of it. Until I find out I'm wrong. And I wished I had accepted advice and listened to instruction. Being a teachable person. Does the decision affect your future? Just become teachable. Learn to listen to advice and accept instruction. That you may gain wisdom in the future. In other words, if you make this a habit then you'll have a stockpile of wisdom for the choices that you haven't even had to make yet. Number two, does the decision negatively affect others? Write that down. Does the decision negatively affect others? You and I, we live interconnected lives. And that's especially true in the church among Christians. We are interconnected with one another. And that means that so many of the decisions that we make are going to affect other people. And sometimes what works for me doesn't work for you. Doesn't work for other people. Now there are times when our prior priorities might dictate that we have to make a decision that isn't the best uh, situation for people in our lives. That, that has to be navigated. Though I would stop short of saying that it's, it's an okay decision to make if it genuinely harms other people. But sorting through all of the nuance of that is exactly why you need to be a person who seeks wisdom. When you are going to make a decision that has an effect, an impact, potentially negatively on other people, then it is our responsibility to get wisdom for how to navigate the decision that we have to make. And once again, that is going to Involve hearing things that you do not want to hear. It'll take into account other people, which will mean sacrifice and genuine compromise on our part. I am always amazed when I see Christians pulling out of commitments that they've made because it became true that the commitment was just simply too much for them to handle. And I'm amazed because that choice to pull back, to exit the scene, always affects the people that they made the commitment to. And I think a biblical worldview would entail that we slow down before we back out and we seek wisdom for how to best achieve what it is that we are feeling needs to be achieved. Because perhaps we have the wrong solution. Perhaps we have the right solution, but the wrong prescription. Again, I can only see this. So maybe there are options that I'm not considering that you can see that I can't see. And wisdom is what reveals all of this, which means in order to make decisions 
that potentially could negatively impact other people, I need to be a humble person. Write it down. I need to be a humble person. You've probably heard that humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's a good definition for, in other words, it's not self-denigrating. It's, it's just factoring other people into my decisions. More than just caring about myself alone. And when a decision may negatively affect other people, whether that's increasing their burden, increasing their responsibility, maybe hurting their feelings, maybe uh, doing damage to their reputation, whatever it is, then humility, if I'm a humble person, that would dictate that I'm going to get wisdom for how to proceed. Because humility means that I'm thinking of myself less. In other words, I'm not just making the decision in view of me. I'm making the decision in view of you. And when I take that position of humility, then typically you don't even need to put a whole lot of effort into getting wisdom. Wisdom will come to you. You want to know why? Because wisdom is attracted to humble people. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God's grace is his empowerment towards you to help you live your life unto his glory. So if you just take a position of humility and go, that person matters just as much as I matter, then wisdom will find its way to you to help you make the decisions and navigate the complexities of life so that relationships are rich. And friend, can I just tell you that when relationships are rich, then life is rich. But if relationships are poor, then life is so poor. If I do the things that serve me best without considering how they affect you, then I might get what I want, the relationship is cut, it's damaged, maybe it's even severed, so I didn't get what I want. And neither would you in that circumstance. Does the decision negatively affect other people? You need to be a humble person. Wisdom's going to make its way to you. Number three, is the decision a matter of better and best, or is it right and wrong? Write that down. Is the decision a matter of better and best, or is it right and wrong? Life is not black and white. Many decisions that we make are not black and white. It's not always a choice between right and wrong. Sometimes it's good and better. Sometimes it's bad and less bad. You ever been in a situation where, like, you have options, but option A sucks and option B sucks worse? You say sucks in church. It's all good. So we look back. You say that. Those are real scenarios that we find ourselves in. These are the decisions that we would call amoral, right? So moral, like doing the moral things, doing the right thing. These kinds of choices, they're amoral. It's not a right or a wrong. It's just good or better or bad and less bad. I would say the amount of physical relocating that people have done over the last two years is an example of this. Maybe making a big financial decision, choosing between jobs. Do I date this guy? Do I date that guy? Do I get more involved in church right now? Or yes, yes, I get more involved in church right now. These are often good, better, best types of choices, not right and wrong, but they all matter because they ripple out across our life. I think the kind of person who invites the wisdom of others into these types of choices is a philosophical person. So we need to be teachable people, humble people, and philosophical people. Philosophy means lover of wisdom. And when you are faced with choices where you could go either way, but there's a better and there's a best, a philosoph, someone who loves wisdom will invite the insight of other people into that circumstance. And the key to this is exactly what Solomon said. I'm a little child in the midst of God's people, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted. 
I'm a small part of a cosmic level reality. I find that philosophers, both theistic and atheistic, tend to all have it in common that they view themselves as something very small in the midst of something very vast. And from there, they try to get a handle on, on meta-narratives. That word just means big story. And they try to get a handle on meaning and morality. And then from there, they try to get a handle on values and priorities. Things that ultimately will help them make decisions between two or more legitimate options. Turns out this is a biblical way to think. Psalm 90 and verse 12, Moses says, Teach us to number our days. Teach us that we're small. Why? So that we may get a heart of wisdom. Wisdom generally involves recognizing that we are so small in the midst of something so vast. Now, where a lot of philosophers fail is they get the meta narrative wrong. What's the big story? Or they misidentify humanity's place in that big story. Solomon recognized that he was one small part in God's big, vast plan. And you and I, as Christians, we have an advantage in this. We don't need to make up or discover the meta-narrative. It's given to us in the scriptures. The meta-narrative, meta-narrative is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God made, we disobeyed. God's redeeming. Ultimately, God is going to restore all things in Christ Jesus. So we know the big story and we know where we are. That Jesus came, he lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He has all the authority. The devil has none of the authority. We get to live under his authority and serve him. And we get to do what one Christian apologist said. Uh, the story is that we were home, we were away, now we're home again. And so our role is inviting people to come back home into the kingdom of God. Which means when I understand that and I am faced with a choice between two legitimate options, I can ask the question, what's going to serve? God's story better? What's going to help more people come home again who are lost? Because I know the meta-narrative. I know what God is doing, at least is what's been revealed to us in the scriptures, that I can make choices that go, okay, what's more in alignment with what God is doing right now? Usually, it's going to be the choice that serves me less. Mm. That always brings outcomes that serve me best. Be a, philo- be a philosophical person. Love wisdom. Don't just make choices willy-nilly. What's going to serve God's plan best? And that, I would say, almost always involves inviting people into those choices. People who have God-given wisdom and who are committed to praying for you and who have discernment for what direction you should go. Number four, and I'm all done. Hopefully this has been helpful for us today. You can look back at these notes and just, am I making a decision that fits into one of these four categories? Let me go and get wisdom. Number four, does the decision bring up questions of morality? Does the decision bring up questions of morality? Turns out it is a matter of right and wrong, not just better and best. And you are really wanting to go with option wrong. (laughs) 
because the option wrong is what's going to feel great. Option wrong is what seems to have the most short-term payoff. And so you want to get a divorce or you want to move in with your girlfriend or you want to get revenge on someone somehow or whatever else it is that your flesh is tempted to do. You want to do it because it looks and seems and sounds so satisfying. You're faced with a decision that has moral implications. Great, we're all gonna be there in life at one point or another. Here's what we gotta do. We have to find somebody we trust and confess our desire that we want to do the wrong thing and then get wisdom for how to move forward as an overcomer in doing the right thing. And this requires that you don't just be a teachable person or a humble person or a philosophical person. This requires that you and I both be a Christian person. That you and I would decide that Christ is the Lord of our lives to receive the wisdom in these kinds of circumstances because the kind of satisfaction we're looking for at its very depths comes from Christ alone. Christ is the wisdom of God for providing the things that you want sin to provide. Christ is the wisdom of God for making you righteous when you would want your track record to be the thing that makes you righteous. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 30 and 31. The Apostle Paul says this, because of him, God the Father, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, not boast in themselves, but boast in the Lord. That right there is a powerful verse because what Paul is saying is that Christ, not fear, not shame, not guilt, but Christ is God's wisdom for making us righteous. In other words, God does not scare us into righteousness. God in this, the law shows this, that God does not command us into righteousness, but God gifts us. He graces us into righteousness so that Christ is the, is the wisdom. What was God's best idea to make you righteous, Jesus? Christ is the wisdom of God for righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. I've had plans in my life for redemption, to get back what I lost, to make up for, to try to catch up because all of my plans pale in comparison to just being in Christ, the wisdom of God to make me the righteous person that on the inside I deeply desire to be. Now here's the even better part. God is so wise to give you Christ, not just to erase your sin, but actually to help you overcome your future sin. And fear and shame and guilt, I don't know if you're like me, but I have not found them effective in the long term for denying the flesh, for resisting sin. 
I can know that this is going to cost me my peace. I can know that this is damaging my relationship with God. I can know all kinds of things about my sin, but it only lasts for so long before we give in to whatever the temptation is. That's not God's strategy for helping you to live as an overcomer of God. God's strategy, God's wisdom is Christ. And the reason Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God to help you live as an overcomer of sin, because now it's no longer about being motivated by fear. Now it's about being motivated by joy. Because Jesus Christ, there is more joy in Him than there is in the sin. And when I have the revelation that I'm actually compromising my satisfaction, I'm compromising my joy, I'm compromising my happiness by choosing that instead of choosing Him, then I learn that I'm actually losing by doing that, but I'm winning by staying close to Jesus. Oh, how wise is the infinite God of all the universe that He gives us the grace in the person of His Son to say, get in. You want to get wisdom, friend? Get in Christ because Christ is the wisdom and the power of God to help you live as the overcomer that God has called you to be. Dr. Sam Storm said this, and I'll end on this quote. He said, finding the strength to say no comes from believing in, banking on, drawing and drinking from God's promise of a superior pleasure found only in the arms of Jesus. Neither threats nor fear can break the cycle of sin in which so many of us daily live. Neither shame nor the prospects of painful retribution are adequate to stifle the inward surge of sinful desire. Volitional restraint and abstinence are only effective against sin when the soul embraces a pleasure superior to the one denied. There is little sanctifying value in depriving our souls of fleshly entertainment if steps are not taken to feast on all that God is for us in Jesus. You faced with a decision that has moral implications? Be a Christian. This opportunity is uniquely available to people who follow Jesus. Because without Jesus, all we have is self-will. Without Jesus, all we have is fear of letting other people down. It's retribution. With Jesus, we have joy. We have the provision of the thing that we want the sin to provide that always tricks us because it never actually provides it. Let's stand at our feet. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.